We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Let's go back and uh, let's do a mailbag, Ryan. So we've kind of broken down those games. Let's jump into a mailbag. And we have a lot of comments here. And we're going to we're gonna get to these as quickly as we can. AST12321 with a super chat. Thank you. Are there passing concepts that can protect Pines, INT, Tennessee, but still be effective versus Cal? We had another question, too, uh, about this, about things that they can do to kind of limit Drew Pines' turnover pe- uh, potential. The, the challenge in this game for designing a game plan around Drew Pine is you cannot avoid the middle of the field, but you have to be smart about how much you throw over the middle of the field, Drew Pine. Yeah. And it's not because of his size or height or whatever. It's just because he just will force balls and he will you know, just not make good reads and not make clean reads. So, you know, to me, I just need to see, I need to see them do some things early with the quick game, maybe move the pocket. Somebody asked about, you know, bootleg. I don't know, if, you know, bootleg per se, maybe quick half roll sprint outs, just some things where you're going to have some easy com- now screens. RPOs need to be a big part of the thing with Drew Pine, the perimeter yes. RPOs. I'm not throwing a bunch of slants with Drew because he just doesn't seem to see inside real well. And uh, you know, so those are things for me because they've got to get his confidence going because Drew Pine has not played well since the Cincinnati game. I mean, he had a bad mm-hmm. spring, all spring. He, had a, he didn't have a good fall camp. Tommy Reese and the coaches can say all they want about how good he was in fall camp. I have not heard from a single source that actually confirmed that with how he played. You know, yeah. now, does that mean that that determines how he's going to be in games? No, it doesn't. But this is what we're going to learn about Drew. Is he a gamer? Is he mm-hmm. a guy that just, you know, maybe he doesn't have it in practice, but you get the lights on and with his attitude and intel- and all that? Sure. But, you know, he, he, the biggest misnomer about Drew Pine is that he's really accurate. And that's been actually the biggest concern for me because he doesn't throw the ball super accurately. Even last year's ball placement wasn't phenomenal. You know, like I remember the one third down conversion against Wisconsin, I think it was, or it was a Cincinnati, where Kevin Austin has like kind of catch the ball off the ground. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. Like, how'd you miss that badly? He's got to come out and get into a nice early rhythm. If he can get into an early rhythm, then I think there's some things you can do pass game wise, but it's going to be perimeter stuff, Ryan, RPOs. And here's the thing. Give them some calls where it's one read early. 
You know, like it's go slide, you know, go deep post check down, you know, where you're just not giving him a lot of full field reads and high low reads where he's got to read all three levels. It's like, yeah, we're running a high low, but the post is a clear out based on this coverage, you know, and we're just reading this one. You know, those are things that I think they need to do schematically to help get him into an early rhythm. I, I, li- I like your half roll suggestion. I love play action in this game. I love RPO. Clear vision's the biggest thing for me with him, right? Like those things are designed to give a quarterback an easy and clear vision. Like that's what I want to see with Drew Pine. I want to make it easy on him early. I just want to make it easy. He's a kid where he's a rhythm passer, right? So if you get him in a good rhythm early, you could have a good result. But mm-hmm. if he struggles early and he's, you know, his confidence is a little shook, then that's where you you th- have the threat of him just kind of not having a good game overall, right? So those types of things, not really passing concepts. I mean, like RPO is technically, but like a half roll is not a passing concept, but like it's something that you can do in your offense that I think could just kind of give him easy vision, clear vision. Don't make him work through traffic a ton early on in this game, give them some easy completions. That's the biggest thing for me yeah. is you have to, you have to manipulate and create space, man. Like again, this is a game where I think Tommy Reese can answer some bells because he's going to have mm-hmm. to be a little creative with getting some easy decisions and easy reads early with Drew Pine, get him comfortable. That's what you need to do. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Got a super chat from YJax. Uh, thank you for that. He said that touched uh, how kind you were to Irish one. Thanks. Um, I, you know, I, I don't, your name doesn't look familiar. So I don't know if you're just someone who watches, but never comments, but um, you know, that's the kind of community we want to have here. We're here to mm-hmm. talk ball. And as long as people are respectful, I don't care if you're a Notre Dame fan, USC fan. We have a USC fan in the chat today. We have a Michigan fan in the chat. Usually Ohio state fan in the chat today. Uh, we're trying to build a community of people who love college football. And obviously the foundation of that is Notre Dame football. Sure. Uh, but we also want to have people that just are, you know, are it's a community is that you 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 look out for each other, you care for each other, and whatever you can do, whether it's we did a fundraiser last year, we raised over ten thousand dollars for the local homeless shelter and, and community, 
You know, if it's offering prayer for people, whatever it is, that's what we want to build. It's not just about sports. This is people that view this as a family to a degree, you know, their football family. And and so I appreciate that you know, you recognize that. And um, I want people that are struggling to know that they have a place they can go to and have people that care about them. So I appreciate that. And, and, and it's, it's not that way because of me and Ryan, yeah. it's that way because of all y'all, everyone, and everyone. That's, yep. that's the reality of it. And on, on top of being really good looking guys, we're also extremely nice <laughs> and polite and, and care, some of caring. us, some of us have wonderful humility. <laughs> so uh, Patrick McGrain with a super chat. Thank you very much. He goes, uh, do you think any player has made an Ed Reed speech yet? Uh, I sure hope so. It's gotta be something, sure man. So. The best thing about Ed Reed is he was a great football player, but everyone knows that clip at Miami, right? We're like, don't talk to me, I'm hurt. Right. Type of thing, right? Yeah. He was a great leader. Ed Reed was a great, great leader, both in the college and in the NFL. And that's what Notre Dame needs right now. I think they have some leaders on the team, but you don't need like anything even that like historic, right? right. Like everyone knows that speech. Give me what Alohi Gilman some juice. Give me Alohi yeah. Gilman from a couple years ago. Alohi yes. was a great leader because Alohi would yes. call you on your stuff. But you knew he was going to bring it every day, and he would give you that speech. And it was it was a it was very similar to the Ed Reed speech, you know, like, "Hey, I'm hurting," you know what I mean? But I'm not leaving here without a win. And I want to see if they have guys like that on this football team. And uh, and Patrick McGrain said also Chip Long will be the offensive coordinator next year. I it would be will surprise me a little bit. Um, yes, <laughs> uh, at this point, but uh, they got a big game this weekend against Ole Miss. They do. So it's going to be an interesting one. So very interesting one. All right, let's get back to our questions from John A1. If Notre Dame tight ends are working a game plan in which they are stretching the seams, how does that aid the wide receivers? A ton. Create space. A ton. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's harder to defend the perimeter when you've got to defend the seams. I mean, that's a big part of it. It puts linebackers in situations where they have to open and run. Part of the reason Notre Dame's running back pass game hasn't been as effective this year is because linebackers never have to turn their hips. They yep. can just square up the line of scrimmage. You've got to be. You've got to use your receivers to run vertically, and you've got to actually hit some of those throws. And I, I'll never understand why they just refuse to use Michael Mayer on anything deep beyond a wheel route. Like how you're not having him screaming up the backside, back seam, or, or screaming up the front seam, or just doing all types of different things. I'll never understand why he's not working the 15 yard in routes. Yeah. You know, underneath different you know crossers and different things. It's like it's either it's like all option stuff. It's that's like all they have him do is like option routes. Well, teams are sitting on that now, yeah. you know, and um, they've got to be more creative with how to use it. But how does it help receivers? Okay, we just talked about one. It forces the the secondary players to stay on the, worried about the seam, which makes them less able to help on the perimeter. I think it does things where it softens up the linebackers because the linebackers yes. have to protect the intermediate level, right? They're not necessarily defending the deep ball but they're making sure that, you know, they don't get sucked up and you just bang that real quick seam route right over top of them in front of the safeties. They are basically, it's almost like a pass off to a degree, Ryan, even though when they do yeah. run full vert, because, Hey, I got to make sure that I cover you to here until I get that help down the field. But if I get yeah. sucked up yeah. on play action, all of a sudden he's catching it and he's throwing that ball right behind you. And we've seen their name hit those a couple times, but those are like yeah. the quick pop passes. Now they need to kind of push it even more to where they're starting to really turn get you to turn and run because then that opens up some of the clear routes, the crossers, the overs. You can start running more like you know angle routes with your backs. There's different things you can do there, uh, and then it makes your it for the, just for the tight end. It then makes your option routes more effective because teams actually have to 
think that you might run by them. Because right now they're just running with Mayer, like waiting on him to make his move. Like, okay, he's going to break at some point in time. I'm just going to be prepared for it. And it's making it, you know, he's still catching balls because he's a dude, but yes. there's things you can do to help him out, you know, and that's something that, that, um, that we need to see. Ryan, anything to add to, to that? The, the best part of their defense is the second level, right? So as you're threatening down the seams, Linebackers are going to work inside out, so they have to mm-hmm. work that threat until to, to they pass off, like you said, Brian, right? And that's that's creating space, John. Like, that's what it is, right? You run the seam so that you bring something right underneath there. So you get an easy completion. That's the biggest thing is that you're clearing out space. Even if you're not throwing the ball to the tight end all the time on the seam route, you're still manufacturing space in some way, right? So that's mm-hmm. how it helps wide receivers. And then to Brian's point, if you start hitting a couple of those seam balls, then they're going to have to play even more aggressively to stop the seam, which creates even more space. Mm-hmm. So I said clear vision earlier for Drew Pine. That there's no easier clear vision than getting, you know, just a clear route where it takes the linebacker's eyes, keeps the safety up top, and then you just hit a wide receiver running a drag across the middle or a slant across the middle. Like that's easy money, right? So mm-hmm. that's the biggest thing is you're just creating and creating more space for wide receivers. That's what seam balls yeah. do. I want to comment on this because this frustrates me. Brian from New York says smaller quarterbacks can't see the intermediate middle. Sprint out throwback to tight end has worked though. Just need to avoid hits in the QB. That's not true. I'm a I'm a six foot quarterback that played with six four six five offensive alignment in high school. When I'm seven yards behind you, you're not six five to me. That's how it works. It's throwing lanes. Drew Drew Brees. Why did Drew Brees th- attack the middle of the field his entire career just by guessing? where he thinks guys would be. No, you can see, especially in the shotgun, where the reason height used to matter a lot more is because the NFL used to be a under center league. Mm-hmm. And under center, height matters. Because for my first three steps, if I'm six foot, you are six five to me because we're right there. And and so now it's like you you never turn your back to the side, the, to the line of scrimmage. You never have to take your eyes off down the field. The line doesn't just stand there right in front of you. They are seven to nine yards in front of you. You can see the intermediates. You can. Where height matters now is you can't throw over guys as effectively because you're small. But you're you're going to see the throwing lanes. This is one of the most often – like that's what people say that, that was Ian Book's problem. Ian Book's over six one. That was not Ian Book's problem. It was not that he couldn't see it. And if he couldn't see it, it's because he just can't read a defense, not because he physically couldn't see it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, again, what Russell Wilson, right? 5'10 and a half, 5'11, Kyler Murray, 5'10. How are they able to throw over the middle of the field? Are they just guessing? No, because they can see through the throwing lanes. And that's mm-hmm. just the reality of it. So, uh, I just, I don't, I, I understand why people think that. I do understand why people think that, but it's just, it's just not really practical in that, in my opinion. For yep. that, all right, we got some more comments here. Quinn Kibler, mailbag question: Do you think Notre Dame is working on a Wildcat package? Also, what would you want that to look like, man? Honestly, Quinn, I it's not even on my radar right now. But if Drew Pine gets hurt or struggles, they're going to need to. And this is where you start talking about the Avery Davis injury really hurts mm-hmm. because Avery was recruited to play quarterback at Notre Dame. If he was healthy, you could say, "Hey, look, we're going to put him in. We're going to have an RPO package, and we're just going to run read zone and different read stuff all game." And run the ball, but I mean, th- their depth is a concern right now with yep. with Tyler Buckner injured. It is, 
it is that Tyler, if, if they lose Drew Pine, this is, this isn't, they're in trouble. They're in trouble. Or if he just doesn't play well, yeah. they're in trouble. So they're going to have to do something like that. Who that is, how that looks. I have no idea. No idea. Uh, and I hope that we never have to find out. I pray that we never have to find out, but I'm man enough to admit when I don't know what to do next. <laughs> and that would be one of those ones where I, I don't know who that would be. Who can who can throw it enough keep, to at least keep, keep, team, keep teams respectable? Chris Tyree would be my first thought. You know, just run the read stuff with him. But, mm-hmm. I mean. Can, can your boy Tobias Merriweather throw the football? Probably get him in the game. Seriously. <laughs> For real. Oh, my goodness. Uh, DMND13. Hey, it was great meeting you this past weekend, by the way, at the tailgate. Is there any way Iowa scores enough offensive points to cover their spread of 24 against Nevada? Or is this the only way if they score defensive and special teams points? That was the second weirdest spread of the week for me. This the first the, that was the most weird spread of the work of the week for me. Twenty four. Yes. 24? This is a they team that scored, scored twenty four. No, they've scored seven in both games. Correct. I think so. Uh, you know, so I think that then they lose to Iowa State like fourteen to seven ten, or something. Se- like that. I think it was 10-7, 10-7. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, they scored seven in the opener, seven, but they're going to beat Nevada by twenty four. Okay. Like, okay, I know Nevada's defense is bad, but, I mean, I don't know if it's that bad. Can, can I and say I this, Brian? I thought the Notre Dame spread was weird, too. I, yeah, I didn't see I don't It was so weird. Was it like, it was that. like 10 and a half, well, right? It's up to like 11 that. now. Up to 11. I'm like, yeah. Notre Dame's barely averaging that per game right I now. I know, I know. I'll say this, and I put it on Twitter either this morning or yesterday. I didn't say it in this context, but Notre Dame fans, I know offense has been a big struggle in the first two games for Notre Dame. If you want to feel a little better about it, though, go look at Iowa's stats on the season. Spencer Petrus is completing 45% of his passes. Brian, their leading rusher, last name Williams, I don't even know who he is, 2.8 yards a carry, the leading rusher on the team. It is bad, man. It's bad, bad. Like, it's awful. Yeah. Their, their potential All-American tight end, Sam Laporta, has like 10 catches for 60 yards. It's bad, man. It's really, really bad. Yeah. It's not good. It's not good. Beef Eater, ND08, a.k.a. Toe Jam. Who is going to click this weekend? Who's going to click first this weekend, Ryan? O-line or D-line? I, I, I hope it's whoever gets the ball first. <laughs> right? So if offense is on the field first, I hope it's the offensive line. If it's defense, I hope the defensive line starts. I know that's a really cliche thing to say, but you need both of them to play well. You need both of them to play well. So I think I I, I really am hoping that Notre Dame just from the get, from the first whistle, from the first kickoff, whoever has the football, I'm really hoping that Notre Dame just comes and just like it plays pissed off, man. Like I hope that they come out and they just really kind of reverse the tides a little bit. So whoever has the ball first, that's that's what I'm going to say is it's going to be offense or defense depending on who's on the field. That's yeah. my answer. Brandon Pleasant with an interesting. Hey, have Josh Burnham be the quarterback. Well, that's a good one. That's an interesting yeah. one. Yeah. I wouldn't mind seeing a little wildcat with Josh Burnham. Yeah, yeah. That's a, like in all seriousness, that's a very interesting thought. That's a very interesting thought. Six four, two hundred thirty pounds. Yeah, yeah. Like, an all, like, and he can, because he can actually throw. It's not going to be yeah. pretty, but yeah. he can actually throw. He wasn't just a guy you run, you put in there to run. Dude, I would put him in the goal. I, I would even put him in the goal line, even if you don't have to get to that point. Like yeah. that'd be interesting, man. Oof, be interesting. Lord have mercy. <laughs> Ugh. All right, here we go. Next question. Also from Beef Eater, he goes, I think D-line brings it. Foskey's going to be like a wild beast all game. For me, Ryan, it's just about the matchup. I think the matchup for the D-line is 
more favorable than the offensive line. It's just, I'll say this. If the offensive line clicks first, it's one of two things is happening. One, the defensive line is just underachieving. Or two, the light does go on for the offensive line. A line that so, we did think was going to be good coming into the season. We did. And we were so far, we were wrong. Cause I did not think they, I knew, I didn't think they'd be Joe Moore would award winners in the first two weeks, but I did mm-hmm. not see them being this bad. I, I didn't. I didn't Brian, who do you this bad. On, on paper, who do you think has the clear advantage? Foskey against those offensive tackles or Jason Adamalola against those guards? That's a close one, man. That's I think it's Foskey. Diesel Foskey. Because I think okay. the guards are at least real big guys that Jason's got to kind of run around a little bit. You yeah. know, it's easier to double team with him with those big guys because their two guards are huge. They are their big. center's not real big, but they're they Hovel's like 330, Driscoll's like 315, 320. You know, he's at least got some weight on him. I think, and I think Safasi is going to be in more ISOs on the edge. And those kids are the right tackle, especially. He's just a stiff. He's just really tight hips. And I mean stiff. I mean that literally he's got really tight hips. He just does not transition well. His lateral quickness is not good. His change of direction is not good. It should be a favorable matchup, which means if he doesn't play well, this is going to be incredibly problematic. Agreed. Incredibly problematic. Some little advice here for the defense from Notre Dame 2164. D-line and linebackers, quit embracing blocks like you're hugging your grandma. Good advice. Number two, O-line. Know your assignment to be physical. Don't stop your feet. Two for two. Coaches, play Merriweather and Tyree. Nailed it. Three for three. I got nothing to add. If we ever need a guest co-host, we're going to get you on. That's great, great analysis. Fantastic. I'm I'm being dead serious. I am too. (laughs) That's exactly what is needed. I know I have a sarcastic exactly sarcastic personality sometimes, yes. but like, yes, I agree with everything you just said, my friend. Everything yeah. you just said. Little recruiting question here, Ryan, from Salty mm-hmm. Virginia Peanuts. He says, Is isn't Tayshawn Lyons visiting this weekend? Salty, I'm so disappointed, man. If you go on the message board onto the visitor list, that thing is completely updated. The website also yes. has an article about that. There is a whole lot of players that are gonna be on campus, mm-hmm. and Tayshawn Lyons is one of them this week. So obviously, we think that things of course, for people that don't follow recruiting too well, he's at a Tennyson High School in Hayward, California. Six foot two, 175 pound wide receiver who just had 303 yards receiving, Brian, on eight receptions last week, which is just the most nutty stat line that I have seen all weekend. So Notre Dame has been tra- trending pretty well with Tayshawn, and he will be on campus this game against Cal. Yes. There you go. All right, let's get to our next one. John A1, if you were at a Notre Dame opponent, how would you attack Drew Pine? How do you hope Notre Dame is prepared for it? Well, I don't know if it'll look a lot different than what we've seen so far. Right. right? I, was, I mean, yeah, I mean, take away the stop, quick game, stop the run game, and <laughs> force yeah. him to beat you down the field. I mean, uh-huh. I'm not being flippant, John, at all. I just I don't think that changes much from what we've seen. Now, I think it's actually a little easier now to stop him with that game plan because you don't have to be worried about him necessarily pulling it and really gashing you with the run the way Tyler did. Yeah, but I, I don't think the uh, I don't think it changes a whole lot to be completely honest with you. I agree I with that. Yep. All right. Let's get back to some more. John A1 also says, how can the offense complement itself? I mean, look, John, the way it works is everything builds on each other, right? Like everything you're doing, you're, you're, what you run out of needs to be what you throw out of and vice versa. Now there are going to be some things that are more heavier run and some things that are more heavier pass, but teams on first and second down have to feel that no matter how you line up, everything is an option for you. And, and what's hurt Notre Dame is there's just some stuff, Ryan, where it's like it's pretty obvious 
kind of what they're about to do. Maybe not specific specific route combination, but you know it's a throw here. You know it's a run here. And and so that just makes you a little bit more tendency oriented. And so I think first and foremost is the the run and pass game have to complement each other more from a a structural standpoint. Just how you line up and the personnel you're putting on the field. That's number one. That you also need to be able to do more things off your run game with your throwing game. Even mm-hmm. if it's just RP, that's a great thing about RPOs now is you don't necessarily have to design play action shots off of all of your run concepts because you have RPOs, but you still do need play action shots because the thing that play action does for you is you're giving the run action, but you're still pass blocking. There's going to be things you're doing to protect the edge. There's things that you're doing, you know, getting a body inside where an RPO is literally if the quarterback holds the ball, dudes are coming, right? I mean, you've got to get rid of the ball because the offensive line's job is not to keep you from getting hit. It's to block for the run. So I think there are, and, 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 you know, good RPO coaches know the difference between RPO and play action. You can't just be RPO. You have to also call some play action shots or play action passes. They don't have to always be shots. You know, so I think, but I think all those things, that's what I mean by complimentary. So like, if you're going to throw screens, a quick game, have things to protect those, those things, you know, uh, do some, some looks where you are doing a double move or you are doing some other things. If, you know, like, like USC had a great call. Did you see the screen they hit? I think it went for a touchdown. They faked buck sweep left. Mm-hmm. They took both guards and pulled them left. And he pulled it and threw a tunnel screen to the right. So the right side, like the center and the right tackle, like worked out and blocked out. They caught, they brought it inside and went. But then you have this side of the line running with the buck sweep. I was like, dude, that's so creative. And it's not super complex. Like that's mm-hmm. creativity right there, you know. But you're complimenting that because next time you run buck sweep, the backside linebacker and backside safety are going to be a little less apt for. For all I know, it could have been an RPO. I mean, true. It, it could have been. But the next time you run that, those te- the, the 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 back the middle to back side of the of the defense is going to be a little less apt to go chasing the buck sweep action next time, right? And those are complementary things. Hey, you can play this counter this way, but we've got something off of it that you're not going to like if you overplay it too much. And Notre Dame doesn't have a lot of that. Notre Dame doesn't have anything to protect the other things that they're doing, and that's the lack of complementary football. That's why I say there's no there's no method to the madness, so to speak, with what they're doing. I'm so happy that I don't play in this era now, Brian. I would hate playing in this era as a linebacker now with all the misdirection and eye manipulation. Like, it would suck, man. It would not be fun. Yep. Let's get to the next question from Rye. What is the worst room on the team? Mine is quarterback. We are not even a top 20 quarterback room in the country. I mean, right now, with the injury to Tyler Buckner, I think that's accurate. I would say that's that's the one I'm most concerned about. Yeah. 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 I I can't really think of I mean. What's the next closest? I don't know. Like, I think it would just be quarterback, right? Like, is there one that's close? No, not right now. Not with everybody pretty much healthy. Yeah. Jay Matobano, Reese's official on the hot seat, hottest seat in the country. Turn it around, figure it out, perform, or get lost thoughts. I mean, again, Jay, that's just not where my head is at. That's number one. I don't view that as being my job to talk about who is or isn't on the hot seat. Yeah. That until a coach gets fired, my focus is going to be on, okay, what do you got to do to fix it? What's wrong? What's broken? And what do you got to do to fix it? It's not my call on who is or is not fired, Uh, especially after two games and especially after the way that the offense finished last season. I think we Mm -hmm. need to chill out with this. And this is sort of that toxic thing that I was talking about earlier in the week. I understand the frustration. But when you start talking about a coach being fired and all that, you're not helping. You're not helping anything because recruits see that. We have recruits in this show. 
We do. I know for a fact we have recruits that watch our show. I know we have parents of recruits that watch our show. I mean, all these Notre Dame fans want these coaches fired. Yeah, well, okay, yeah, they do, right? So I don't know what to do about that. But what I'm going to focus on is fixing it. If Tommy Reese can't t- figure things out, then the clearly changes need to be made, whatever that is. Yeah. But that's not really my focus right now because that's not going to happen right now. So my focus is on what do they got to do to get things changed to go beat Cal. That's my focus. Uh, I, I do agree with the sentiment that you need to turn it around, figure it out, and perform. Absolutely. I just yeah. – I'm not, I'm not ready to get to the or get lost part, right? Like that's right. to Brian's point. Like we don't need to talk about firing or hiring or coaches search or whatever. But like I agree, something needs to get better. And that's not even just from a Tommy Reese perspective. That's like Marcus Freeman, defensive defensive staff, offensive staff. Like right now you're not playing good football. Everyone needs to figure it out. It needs to be better. Right, right. Sam Tyrell, Brian, do you think Freeman is doing too much media, i.e. talking, great in interviews, but at the end of the day, win-loss are the only thing that matters? I'm a Freeman guy. would like to get your thoughts. No, I don't think that's an issue at all. I think when you lose, you start looking at everything and, oh, well, this is the problem. That's the problem. He's not talking any more than any other coach does, and less in some instances. He talks on Monday, Thursday, and the Thursday press conference is like 10 minutes, and then after the game, that's it. The rest of it, they're not real long press conferences. And, and and Brian, I mean, was there any pushback during the offseason when he's when he's talking to media and stuff and everyone's well, falling I, I in love with it? I mean, like, sort of, well, I mean, but in, in fairness, it is retro. Like, hey, maybe the response is, hey, maybe he shouldn't have done as much of that and been in focus more on the team. But the reality is those 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 two things, he's not talking to the media and doing those things and then not focusing on his football team. Right. Right. right? I mean, you know, that's just not how it goes. Look, he has not gotten this team prepared to win. It's not because he spends too time with him, too much time with him, and we rarely talk to him. Like maybe once or twice a week during fall camp, mm-hmm. and we'd have a different coach each day, so we don't talk to him a lot. We don't see him a lot. Only one of his press conferences is really any time consuming. The other one's after a game. What's he going to be doing? Else he's going to be doing after a game. Mm-hmm. So I, I understand Sam when when you're not winning everything, you're going to look at everything, and that's that's a, a an understandable and natural and, and acceptable reaction to to losing games. I'm fine with it. I just don't think that's the issue, right? And because, you know, we saw him doing a lot of things in the offseason of going on different things, but that's what you do. I mean, that's part of recruiting. That's a part of bringing sort of a shine to your program. That's what you, you're supposed to do as a head coach, especially when and you're trying was, to recruit. And it's it's sell, selling the vision and selling the, the culture and everything, too, is part of the reason why you had the number one recruiting class for so long. It's also long, part of right? his job. Like, your yes, job is to be the spokesman for your football team, and yep. your job is to do both effectively well. And but you are correct. Winning and losing is the only thing that matters. It's just again, it's like I always say, you can walk and chew gum at the same time. Marcus mm-hmm. Freeman's press appearances are not the reason their name is zero two. There are other things that he is has to be accountable for. Why they're zero two? That's not one. That's definitely not one. And if anything, if he stops talking to the media, it's going to look like it's going to look petty. Oh, he can't handle the pressure, so he doesn't talk to the media. That would that would be a bad look. 99 problems with BK1. Uh, if Notre Dame doesn't get a 2023 quarterback recruit, who are some good and realistic transfer targets? Anyone that would be a strong elite quarterback transfer possibly? Well, there's nobody in the portal right now that I would look at. And everyone in the portal right now was just told by the NCA they got to be taken out of the portal right now. So, I mean, anyone worth having is still playing somewhere right now. Right. You know, that, so that, that would be purely no speculating clue. on no the, clue. And I don't really want to yeah. do that. Um, yeah. I will say this, even if they get a 2023 quarterback, Ryan, and I don't know if you and Sean addressed this on Monday, but Tyler's second season-ending injury in mm-hmm. five years, I don't care how much you have faith in Tyler Buckner, how much I may have faith in Tyler Buckner, 
you can't say, well, if Tyler gets hurt, don't worry. We'll have Angeli as a redshirt freshman and another freshman ready to step in. CJ Carr reclassifies. That's not the answer for 2023. They're going to need to go to the transfer portal in 2023. Now, do you still give Tyler Buckner a chance to win the starting job? Of course you do. But you need to go out. And, and I was okay not doing that this year. Next year, I'm not okay with that. You're going to need to go find a grad transfer quarterback, in my opinion. Now, if it's a guy that can start, great. If it's someone who is, it can come off the bench and and you know rescue you if you're not, that's fine too. But mm-hmm. you're going to need a Jack Cone type of player to look at for next year, no question. A guy that has experience, a guy that's been through the battles, a guy that has the ability to go out there and lead your football team. Yeah, that, that's my I, thoughts. I agree. Zach Martin with a mailbag question. What are the sets and routes UNC is using to get their three tight ends open and productive? See, seems like Stace, Mayer, and Raritan could be that too. I want to throw Kane Barong into that conversation too. We don't ever talk about Kane Barong, but mm-hmm. Kane Barong's the second strongest offensive tight end on the roster. He's been fully cleared. He's another guy that I would have in this conversation as well. Yeah. But why don't you go and take a crack? So, right. so, Zach, they're doing things a little bit differently this year. So, Phil Longo's offense doesn't usually feature the tight end as much, but they're doing a lot more like 12 personnel, 11 personnel. Then like usually you think of like, hey, maybe they're in like 10 personnel where like they have two wide receivers on each side. Like they like to he kind of likes to be a balanced offense with like a usually is like a 22 personnel. So two a, a two by two personnel, I should say. So two receivers on each side. This year I've seen I mean there's multiple tight ends that have been on the field. Nesbitt and they have a couple other kids that have been, I mean what was it, Brian? Like their second, third, and fifth leading receivers are all tight ends this year, or something like that. Like it was a pr- crazy stat on, in that regard. So, what they're doing is there's it's still the same concepts on the outside. They're a heavy outside, vertically oriented teams. So, like what Sam Howell would do a lot, and just how Phil Longo's offense j- kind of works in general is that they'll kind of look pre snap up like where is the safety playing over? Oh, it's single high. I have a one-on-one outside potentially. I'm going to take a vertical shot outside. What they're doing this year is that they're using that still, but they're using it more as like a clear out almost. So you're leaving stuff open over the middle of the field where tight ends have one-on-ones. Maybe you use a two tight end set where one's the clear out guy, one comes underneath. So still vertically oriented outside. It's just that you're using more tight ends than you did in the past with a lot more 11 and 12 personnel than you have in the past. Notre Dame lacks talent, but North Carolina can do all that with their tight ends. Correct. But it's a talent problem in Notre Dame. Correct. Sure. Sure. Not a coaching problem. Talent problem. You're not being sarcastic at all, are you? Incredibly sarcastic. (laughs) Laying on pretty thick. Yes. D-Rock Irish says, prediction in only one week. I don't see multiple changes in this Notre Dame team. Very frustrating. Notre Dame 17, Cal 13. That's where I'm at. I mean, I'd like to see a lot of changes. Changes can happen. I just need to see it before I can believe it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. Jim Halloran, Brian, Brian and Ryan, why can't the coaches fix the fundamental issues on offense and defense, i.e. not setting the edge, not staying home backside, breaking down and staying on feet while tackling O-lines, wide receiver basics? I, I, I honestly, Jim, I wish I had an answer. I'm not at practice, so I can't tell you. There's yeah. what. Here's what I know. Whatever they're doing in a practice, they're doing it in a way that's not making it conducive to translating to Saturdays. And that ultimately is the most important part of practice. Whatever you're doing structure-wise, tempo, how you're teaching, how you're doing install, how you're handling mistakes on the field, I'm a believer in run it till you get it right. I'd rather know that I have three plays that I flat out know we can run it uh, on anybody because we've run it so much in practice 
than having 75 different things that you don't even know what you're good at, mm-hmm. you know, because whatever you think is working in practice is not working in games and you have to figure out why. So I don't know why they can't do it. I, I could certainly throw out speculation, but I'm not at practice. So I can't see that. And the people I talk to are like, man, we, we look good in practice. One of the questions I have is I wonder, this is a fear that I have with the offense, especially this was a big issue under Brian Kelly. And I fear that it's an issue under Tommy Reese. They oftentimes Ryan practice for success, meaning the looks that they give themselves on plays is the looks that will work for your concepts. Oh, gotcha. Gotcha. And, and so I don't think that's necessarily the only way you should do that. There's a time and place for that, but I believe there's practices. Like I believe the first day of install should be that let's get some confidence going in the stuff we run. But I think as you get to Wednesday and then Thursday, you should start throwing some wrinkles at you that maybe you're not used to seeing, or maybe that don't work for certain calls. So you're forcing your quarterback to go to his check down or his next read or whatever the case may be. You're forcing receivers to have to sight adjust or have to, you know, handle a different look that maybe you're not prepared for on that call. Cause your offense is going to look great. If everything you're showing them on the cards defensively is calls that are designed for that. You have to think that I'm going to make the right call every single time. Good mm-hmm. offensive coordinators know sometimes I'm not going to make a call that's perfect call because I'm going to think on this second and 10 based on all of the tendencies we've studied that this is this, the potential coverages that we're going to get. And these are the plays that can work against those coverages. But you know what? Sometimes you think you're going to get some court of quarters and they end up playing cover two and the call you just made doesn't work for that. What do you do? What do you have built into your system that says, okay, when they do this? So like one thing I used to like to do is, you know, I'd have my route combination. So if I'm running double posts to the field, I'd have something different backside to say, what can they do to take double posts away? Okay, so if they're going to take something to take away my primary route combination, then my backside route combination needs to be geared towards that. So if they're going to take double post away, then one of the things that the team can do to take double post away is to take that Mike, Mike linebacker and run him right under the inside post and take their safety and run him under, under on top of the outside post, you know, underneath the outside post. So what do I do? A lot of stuff I'd have built back in it would be taking some kind of backside route and just, you know, taking it to where that linebacker is going to be right? And then either the linebacker has to stay up on that route, which still leaves me my inside post open, or if that guy's going to undercut the, the double post, then I now have something replacing that guy that, that's going to be a come down to that that gives me something, right? So I don't. that's something that I don't know if they're doing a whole lot of. And if they are, are they practicing where you have to go back to that read? So I, I used to love backside high lows from my route combinations, you know? So whatever, you know, drag in, drag post, in under some kind of backside high low with a back doing something and so are you doing things that make your quarterback go back to read that or not in practice because if you're practicing to perfection every time meaning you're giving yourself the call that works well that's not how games work on Saturdays Mm -hmm. and sometimes I wonder if that's an issue with like whoa I wasn't expecting to see this coverage on this against this particular play and I don't know where to go with the football that's something that has been an issue in the past. I worry if it's an issue now, and if it is, it needs to get fixed and addressed. And the same thing, you know, with the defense is, you know, show some stuff. I, I'll tell you, one of the lessons, I, and I learned this as a young coach. I was at Wittenberg, first year as a coach, fresh out of a player. And we're getting ready to go play Wallbash, whose head coach is Chris Creighton, who is uh, now at Eastern Michigan. 
And our head coach said, he's like, Brian, I want you to just bring the heat today. I was like, okay, well, you know, what's their blitz pack? And he goes, I don't care what they do. I want you to just throw whatever you think can get pressure on the quarterback. So, dude, I'm drawing up all these crazy blitzes <laughs> and stuff that they're probably not going to see to the point where coach was like, okay, enough. We've seen enough. But his point was this. If we can handle stuff like that, then we're going to be okay to handle some of the other things and we're prepared if they throw some stuff at us that we maybe weren't prepared for. And this was like a Thursday practice, you know? Yep. I thought that was really insightful. We, we, we used to do the same thing on the high school level, obviously, but like I was mostly a defensive guy. So we would get together my first or second year I was coaching defensive line and the offensive line coach wanted me to do the same thing, Brian. He's like, I'm, we're going to practice our protections. It was just an individual. We're practicing our protections, line up in a four-man front with two linebackers, two inside linebackers, and just do whatever you want. Like, just blitz from every spot, send everyone, doesn't matter. Like, just throw, it, throw the kick and sink at it, basically, and sink or swim time, right? Like, it, it's it's making adjustments. You have to have answers to the questions, right? And that, yeah, I agree. That's a That's a – you have to think quickly on your feet in those types of situations, right. which I love. And you need experience at it. You need to know, okay, yeah. I saw this. When they give us something we're not prepared for, here's what I know I'm going down to. Yeah. And uh, that's where it needs to be. So let's get some more here. D-Rock Irish. I haven't seen Marcus Freeman or the team emotionally fired up since Marcus Freeman was introduced as the head coach to the team in the locker room. I'm going to disagree with that. I was at the Ohio State game. Yeah. That team did not lose that game because they, they lacked emotional fire. They didn't. They didn't execute. But that team was emotionally fired up and ready to play that game. That's the only reason they were able to keep Ohio State's potent offense at 21 points, y'all. Like, let's not for let's not act like this team's just getting their ass kicked every Saturday. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm gonna say it. That's not what's happening here. Okay. Mm-hmm. This team is playing bad football, but they did not, they they were not emotionally unready to play against Ohio State. They were emotionally unready to play Marshall. Flat yes. out, D-Rock. I'm with you on that. But th- this is not true. This team has been emotionally fired up several times. They did not respond well to losing to Ohio State. Flat out. Coaching-wise, player-wise, all of it. They didn't. But they were fired up to play the opener. Now we need to find out if the leadership and the coaching of this team can get them back on track emotionally. That's a legitimate concern. But they definitely were emotionally ready to play against Ohio State, which is the big reason why that was a competitive game. And if they weren't emotionally, look, if you're not emotionally ready to play Ohio State or you're not emotionally fired up, you're not you're not going to be competitive against Ohio State. You're going to get blown out. And they didn't. Christopher Crosby says, Brian and Ryan, I see def- defenses like Clemson swarmed the ball. I don't see that from this defense. Do you think that can be fixed or is it just not being sure of the scheme? I think those last two things go hand in hand. Yes. Not being sure of the scheme is the fix. Making sure they're sure of the scheme – you can't be a fast flight of the football team if you are not a thousand percent certain of this is what I'm doing. I'm confident in it. Now go play fast. Very unsure defense right now. It's mm-hmm. very unsure. Cause I mean, it at the core, talking about Marcus Freeman for a second, at the core, he believes in very aggressive one gap style defense. And I think that that's what they're trying to be. It's just to Brian's point, I, I think that they're a lot of unsurety about their assignments a lot both on the first and second. I mean, all all levels really, but yes, I think that as they become more confident in what they're doing, you're going to play faster. You're going to fill faster. You're going to get downhill faster. Like those things are going to naturally come. I don't think it's a lack of aggressiveness on the defensive side of the football. I think that it is just an unsurety of what you're doing on a snap to snap basis. Mm -hmm. 
Next question from Christopher Crosby. Brian, I don't think Drew Pine is a bad quarterback. He is, however, inconsistent. As someone who played the position, how do you come out of that? As someone who coached offense, how do you help with that? I think as a quarterback, the biggest thing is just getting into a rhythm. An, in, an inconsistent quarterback is often inconsistent when he doesn't feel comfortable with mm-hmm. his feet, with his mechanics. So as a coach, that's the biggest thing. Work on the mechanics. Drew's mechanics get him out of – get him in trouble. I think like I watch his high summer workout clips and it's fun to watch him flip doing all this crazy stuff. But I'm like, but that's not what I want to see. I I, I want to see his feet. I don't want to see Drew Pine throwing off these crazy arm angles. I want to see Drew Pine getting his feet set and getting the ball out accurately. Yeah. Right. Cause we don't see him do that. He, he actually throws better off platform than he does sitting in the pocket because of that's what he practices in, in the off season. So as a coach, get his feet right. That's the biggest thing for me. Get his feet right. His feet get right, and he'll be okay. Nope. And and so especially because he doesn't have a great arm. Kids that don't have great arms, especially when their feet get in trouble, is when they, you know, he can't afford to lose steam on a ball, right? So I think that's a big thing. But honestly, as a coach also, it's my job to make sure that early in the game we are doing a good job of getting him into an early rhythm. I actually think the offensive staff, did a pretty good job of that early on against Ohio State. I mean, you know, Tyler Buck started eight of eight for like 128 yards. They get, allowed him to get into a, a nice early rhythm offensively to help them build up some confidence. Now, they didn't adjust really well, and there were some mistakes that were made by Tyler, by the line, by the receivers, that they didn't finish as well as they started. But you need something similar for Drew. If Drew can come out early and get confident, get rolling early, he'll be okay, right? Mm-hmm. He'll be okay. But if he comes out and he's not moving, not hitting throws, unsure of himself, you know, that, that's when you start getting in trouble. So I think those are the two biggest things for a quarterback from a coaching standpoint. And then as a quarterback, that mentally helps you with your, you know, your confidence in, in what you're trying to do. It helps you with your timing, your rhythm. The biggest thing, too, is he's got to be protected because yes. that's the biggest thing that can get into a quarterback's head. Two things that can get into a quarterback's head more than anything. When you turn the ball over because you threw it at somebody and they didn't catch it, and goes up in the air and like, okay, I don't trust this guy now. I don't want to either throw it to that zone again or I don't want to throw it to that guy because I'm afraid it's going to go off his hands again and get picked off, right? And then the other one is when you're just constantly getting hit. Getting sacked doesn't bother quarterback. Getting hit constantly is what can get into your head because it forces you to speed up your internal clock, and then you start rushing things even when the pressure's not coming, and that's how a quarterback get out of a funk, get into a funk, excuse me. Sam Tyrell said, Brian, how many series would you like to see, to see Angeli get in this game? I'd like to see Angeli get four or five series because Notre Dame is winning 38 to three at halftime. <laughs> Amen. But other than that, I'm not concerned about getting Steve Angeli in the game. I'm worried about beating Cal. And if that requires Drew Pine to take every snap, then he plays it, takes every snap. If they have some sort of package for Steve Angeli, fine, whatever. I don't, at this point in time, I don't even care about that. Just go in the flipping game and get your offense moving. But I hope Drew play. I hope that Steve Angeli plays this week. I hope he plays next week. I hope he plays against BYU and Syracuse and Stanford and everybody else because Notre Dame wins every game by 30. That's what I hope. <laughs> Always hope that. Uh, Brandon Plensner says, Brian, can RPO still work with Pine at quarterback? Even Absolutely. more so, I would hope. Yeah. Because <laughs> again, RPOs are not, do not require a quarterback to run. They require quarterback to throw. Now, will yep. the read stuff, read zone stuff work? The power read stuff work with Drew quarterback? I don't think so. Not, I mean, maybe on like a third and three, if they collapse the backside, you're calling it because you're yeah. collapsing the backside. And if that guy comes screaming off the edge, I'm pulling and I'm throwing. You know, like if it if you're in the third and one 
and it's not even really a read per se. Like you're not reading the D end. It's just, look, if anyone comes screaming off that edge, pull that sucker and run it outside. Right. That simple as that. Right. Corner fire, pull it and run something like that. Yeah. Mate, move the chains, but you're not scaring I, another team with, with that. RPOs absolutely need to be a part of the offense with Drew Pine. I think that there's a misnomer, Brian, that like you have to be this like crazy athlete as a quarterback to be good at RPOs. It's Don't really get me started a on big misnomer. And Brand, misnomer. Brandon knows this because we had this huge thing like a year ago uh-huh. where everybody kept talking about you can't run RPOs because Jack Cohn's not mobile. That's, I'm that's, like, you don't understand what an RPO just, is. You, you, you just need you to make quick decisions. They have nothing yeah. to do with each other. Yeah. Um, but Brandon Brandon knows that. Quick, I think, quick decision I, maker and be accurate. I, I wonder if Brandon's thought is about the lack of accuracy. I wonder if that's part of it, too. Because you do that's not fair. want an inaccurate thrower throwing RPOs because that's how interceptions no. happen. Nope. Patrick Bird, a true wake up the Echoes game. Let's get out there and compete. Notre Dame 38, Cal 10. If that happens, man, man. this is going to be a much more fun post game show. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. We have a question here from Robert Bishop. Have the white names on the back of the jerseys been discussed yet? I don't know how I feel about it yet. I guess whatever works, go with it. I, I am a fan of putting names in the back of the jerseys when it's a different situation, bowl game alternate uniform, things like that. I have no problem with it then because as long as the school gives the kids the jerseys, like I know in the past they've had Notre Dame players have had to buy the jerseys from the school, mm-hmm. which I think is stupid. I hope that's not the case now, you know, but uh, as long as they get the jersey, I think it's cool. On And it, only in an alternate uniform. I, I like not having names on the jerseys. That's just me personally. Um I don't think there's a right or a wrong. It's your personal preference. But I also like the notion of putting them on the jerseys for special occasions. They look sharp. Looks really sharp, in my opinion, the new jerseys. So There we go. Uh, Beef Eater, Brian, would Drew Pine benefit from bootleg plays? This is the question we talked about earlier. Um, Yeah, I I think getting him out of the pocket is going to be something that he should do. If anything, you're benefiting him – not so much benefiting Drew specifically, like, oh, it helps Drew, although it does. It you know gives him some easy reads, get the ball in space. But bootlegs help him because it it slows down the defense. They can't just come screaming downhill if you're going to hit them with a couple of effective bootlegs. So I think it helps him from, from how it impacts the defense more so than, than how it gets him into a rhythm. But I do think some of that early is good. Also, I'm a big believer that unless you have a great pass pro scheme or a great O-line, I don't want the other team always knowing where my quarterback is going to end up. And that's why I like half rolls and bootlegs and sprint outs as just a part of your package. You're not running it all the time, but just something to think about because I think it makes you say, look, you bring this double inside blitz and we just sprint it outside of it. You're in trouble, mm-hmm. right? Cause you don't have enough numbers from where we're going. And, and so, yes, I, I would move the pocket more. Jonathan Kazmarek says, doesn't help. Our offensive line play has been absolutely awful. They were bad last season, and they are even worse this season. Running game is non-existent. The time for the quarterback to throw isn't there. A lot of what you said is true, except for this part right here. They are even worse this season. They are not worse this season than they were last season. You, you, should, you should go look back, honestly, Jonathan. Like, last yeah. year was bad, man. Like, it was yeah. better at the end of the it's season than it was. Right but it was right. – yeah, it was, it's bad now. Yeah. It's not that it's – it's. We're not it's defending what we're saying now. Solid. It's not as bad as it was. Just last, last year was bad. Last year was really yes. bad. Really awful. bad. Mm-hmm. Beef Eater asks, Brian, how much of a lead would you need to feel comfortable getting Angeli some snaps? Depends on the time of the game. I mean, if you're in the third quarter and you're up 28 or more, I'd put him in. Sure. It, you know, if you're up 
20 in the fourth quarter with six minutes left, I'd put him in. You know, uh, it just depends on how the game's going, honestly. And it also kind of depend on is Drew in a rhythm? Because if Drew's still not in a rhythm, I would maybe want to give him another series to try to get him some confidence. Like if you're just winning because you're running it on him and your defense has got a couple scores like Wisconsin, I still kind of like, okay, we need to do something to get Drew going. But uh, if Drew's playing well and you're blowing him out, yeah, get him in there as early as you can. Steve's going Steve's gonna to need to play, guys. I mean, look, if his number's called, Ryan, the last thing you want to have happen is his, the first time he takes a meaningful snap or a snap is like mm-hmm. on the road against North Carolina when yep. you know Drew goes down in the fourth quarter and Steve's got to rally you back from 10 down. Uh, talk about putting a kid in a crap situation. Or maybe it's just three down and he needs to put a score together. That's an unfair thing to, to put a kid in. Um, yep. You know, so I would I want to see him play because look, there's a chance he's gonna have to, they're game three and they're already to their backup quarterback. It mm-hmm. is it, it, you have to make sure Steve Angeli's ready to play in the week of practice and on Saturdays. It's just the whole quick leash thing. That's what I'm against. Yes. What I'm not against is finding out ways to within the structure of what you're doing find ways to get Steve Angeli on the field. I'm not opposed to that. Not opposed to that at all. Uh, and if you know, just yeah, I'm not opposed to that. Uh, Mr. Shaughnessy, Pine doesn't need to win the game, just manage. True, but as long as we're speaking the same terms of what managing a game means. Because sometimes managing a game is hitting the post route over the top because they're giving it to you. Mm -hmm. Hitting the go route outside. Like I think sometimes people look at managing games just like I'm just a complete 70% of my passes and average 7.1 yards per attempt. And, you know, like what Henry Columbia did the first game of the year, right? Like, yeah, he yep. managed it. Okay, completed 90% of his throws and didn't complete a single pass beyond 11 yards. You know, that's not winning you a lot of football games this year. You know, you've got to – manage a game is also, look, you want to give me the go route? I'm taking the go route and I'm going to hit it. Manage a game is also, hey, look, you want to give me a one-on-one on this post throw with no safety help? Cool. I'm taking my guy and I'm hitting that throw. That's part of man- managing a game. Getting the protection set, set, set. Protections set is part of managing a game. Getting the run game checks is part of managing a game. And mm-hmm. also sometimes managing a game requires you to make a play every now and then. Uh, so, Mr. Shaughnessy, as long as we're on the same page uh, there, then yes, I agree with you. He doesn't need to go win a game. He needs to manage a game. But managing a game sometimes means making plays. Archer452 says, quote from Coach Ryan Day, we're Ohio State. It doesn't matter who we're playing. It's about the process. It's about the way that we play. Says Marcus Freeman needs that mentality ingrained at Notre Dame, and you are a 1,000% correct. That is one of the biggest cultural changes that needs to happen in Notre Dame, and I've been saying that for a while. It's about the process. And if you say, well, well, results don't matter, yes, results matter. But are you getting the results because the process of how you're getting there? If you're just out-towning, most of the teams in your schedule, then you're not really achieving your maximum maximum success. If you win a game and you're like, I'm not happy about it. Yeah, I'm good. I'm glad we won, but I'm not happy about it because we didn't play our game. And I know that that's not going to help us win the next time we play a team that we can't just out talent. That's what Mm -hmm. good. That's what Nick said. That's why Nick Saban is so cranky after wins that are not good wins, right? Where it's like meaning not good, meaning they didn't play the way that he demands they play. And that's why they so infrequently do lose games because he's not holding them to the, hey, we, we won, we got it done. No, if we're good enough to beat a team by 50, then we should flip and beat that team by 50. That's how he looks at it because it's about the process. Did we play to our standard? Yes, we did. Okay, we won by three. Great win. 
Did we play to our standard? Yes, we did, and we won by 20. Not good enough because we – or, I mean, no, we didn't, but we won by 20. Not good enough because that's a team we should have beat by 40. And that's yeah. what I mean by process-driven, not results-driven. From a narrow, from the narrow, narrow standpoint of did you win or lose? And that was my issue with Brian Kelly. And you do not see that at the best programs because they're process-oriented, not results-oriented. The results come from the process. Yes. That's what that's what that means. And if and if your if your process is is good and consistent, results are going to come more often than not, right? Like that's just right. it's all intertwined. So I agree completely. Yep. All right, here we go. Uh, Robert Bishop says, I predict Drew Prine is a good enough game to make all of us wonder whether it was beginner's luck or some crazy phenomenon. Viva la Drew, go Irish. <laughs> I hope you're right. I hope yes, you're sir. right. RJG Irving, uh, are Notre Dame players just too well-rounded? School, community, football, media, personal life. Is there enough left for fire? Seems we want to play bully ball without the bullies. Hope I'm wrong. Look, that's you go talk to the players in the 80s and 90s, and they were doing all of that stuff back in the 80s and 90s, and they still played with fire. I was, right. I, was about, I was about to say, yeah. I mean, we're, 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 we're covering one of the, the historical programs in all of college football. Do we think that it, this is just unique to this time period that they just care about school and community and family now? I mean, it's, it's always been this way. It's just you need to your process needs to change a little bit, right, to how mm-hmm. you get to those results. But it's not it's not any different than what Aaron Taylor was doing back, you know, back then. Like it's not at Ricky Waters and all those cats like they're all doing the same thing. It's just. Right. Just the results haven't come recently. So, yep. Got a comment down here from CMAC. It says, Brian, any news on Tyler Buckner? Some are saying he's had surgery and AC joint wasn't as bad as projected, and others, what's he say? Does there, is there another part of that comment that I'm missing here? Uh, I don't see it. Uh, but um, look, I don't speculate on injuries. Here's what Notre Dame has reported I'm not a doctor. I know football, right? That's what I can speak on really well. I'm not a doctor. And and if Notre Dame has not told us that things went better or worse. Pe- other people can report on injuries and all that other kind of stuff. Maybe he comes back at some point in time this year. What I know is that the head coach said he's out four months. If it's less than that, great, great. Hope he comes back healthy because he needs the experience. Uh, but it's just not. I don't. I, I say it all the time. I don't talk about injuries beyond what we absolutely know. I'm not going to report what somebody told me about this person, that other person said, unless Marcus Freeman or Brian Radigan or whoever else performed that surgery tells me this is what's going on. Then I'm just not going to report on it. Um, and there's, there's often t- way too much. Cause remember what was for, Hey, first coming out, Oh, you know, three to four weeks, four to six weeks and then bam, four months. Yeah. Right. So I'm not, I'm just, it's just not, and I'm not blaming other people for speaking on that. Everybody gets to choose to run their business however they want. And, and I'm not faulting them or saying they're wrong and I'm right. I'm just saying this is what I believe and what I think and how we're going to do it. And other people can make whatever decisions they think are best for them with no judgment. It's just it's just different. Everybody chooses to run their business a different way. And this is just how I want to be with injuries because uh, I just have learned with football as a coach, you never really know. You think something's mm-hmm. not a big deal, then you get in there. And you, you do the surgery and you realize, wow, there's something going on that was there already. There's way too much scar tissue here on this kid's knee. we got to clean this up. And now we've just added another month onto his rehab or something like that, right? And so I just – I don't – that's just not my expertise. And I'm just not going to speculate on those kind of things. That's just where we're at. All right. Josh P. said, I forgot who said it. Maybe Goolsby or Malik Zaire, but wide receivers running comeback routes on the outside is wild for college as a staple of an offense. That's 50 yards across the field throw. That's hard. I don't know of many teams running far hash comeback yeah. routes. Um, 
So it's not a staple of the offense. Yeah. I mean, they run comebacks, but it's to the boundary. And those are, if you can't throw a 15 yard comeback into the boundary or middle of the field, then you're not a very good quarterback. Yeah. You're just not. Now, the routes suck. That's the problem. And they're not getting any separation. But I mean, every good team I know runs those. Bama runs those. Mm -hmm. USC runs those. Oklahoma runs those. Even teams with quarterbacks that don't have great arms will run those throws. Now, you got to be smart as a coach about where you're calling it. Sure. And and you know like if you're if you're on the right hash and you're not calling a a a far field comeback throw to your number one on a trip side unless you have Pat Mahomes as your quarterback and even then that's a long flip and throw on a stop route you know what I mean mm-hmm. but boundary wise you got to be able it's got to be a staple of your offense now yep. the question is do you call comebacks or do you have comebacks built in as a, a side adjust to a bailing corner. That's where we can kind of get into the conversation. I actually would never call a comeback unless it was checked by the quarterback because of what they saw from the coverage. But even then, I want a comeback to be a response to how the defense is playing you. I'm calling a goal route or some kind of deep route, and that guy's bailing at the snap, then push to 13 and then break that sucker back or push to 15 or whatever your depth is and push it back. That's how I would like to call comebacks. Ryan, I don't know if you have an opinion on that or not. I mean, everybody runs it. It's not It's not a staple of the offense. It's not – I mean, not every route that Notre Dame's running is a comeback. So I just push yeah. back against the – just the Well, he hyperbole. didn't say it's, it's every route, but it's a staple yeah. of the offense, and and I just don't think it's a staple of the offense. I just yeah. – um, Well, that's what, that's what I'm saying. Like, I think yeah. that's hyperbolic to say that's, like, all they run type of yeah. thing. Like, yeah. Yeah, so uh, we got some other questions here from Ryan Bush. Ryan says, did Brian give his upset pick yet? So I did not say this earlier. I meant to, but mm-hmm. Sean Davis stole my Nebraska upset pick. I was leaning towards going with Nebraska. Just Where are you? Of, just for fun, you know, because our oh. upset picks are kind of for fun. I hadn't decided yet, but he took that away from me, so I had to bust his chops a little bit. Um, there's, there's, Well, for number one, the criteria for our upset picks is an, an unranked team beats a ranked team matter mm-hmm. the spread yep. unless they are favored that's the only exception which is why i don't consider me picking michigan state as an upset because michigan state is favored or, i mean washington is favored i believe still in that game at least they were as of a couple of days ago i'm actually going to look now and see if that yes, they're three and a half point favorite so it's technically not technically an upset but i also picked auburn to beat penn state and i believe penn state is favored to win that game so technically that's an upset as well uh, but uh, Penn State is a three-point favorite, and Auburn, it's a ranked team. There's a couple other games that I was kind of leaning towards and looking at, Ryan, uh, when it mm-hmm. came to upset picks, and, and I want to run a couple of them by you and just kind of quickly get your thoughts on what you think of those games. Okay. Here, was an, here was a potential upset pick that I was looking at. Again, upsets are a ranked te- an unranked team beats a ranked team or an upset of a, a team that's at least a six-point underdog or more, Okay. And there was about three or four of them that I looked at. Number one, Western Kentucky is a six-and-a-half-point underdog at Indiana. Indiana's off to a 2-0 start. I don't think it's been a super impressive 2-0 start. They struggled mm-hmm. with Idaho last week. I like Western Kentucky. I like that offense they're running. If they had Bailey Zappi, I'd even be more prone to go with that pick. But what do you think about potentially Western Kentucky being in a potential upset team over Indiana, who is a six-and-a-half-point favorite? I think it's I think it's fair. I mean, I, I like the Austin Reed kid, the quarterback for Western Kentucky, He's just kind of getting things rolling. I'd say this, Ryan, it probably would not be an upset pick if they did have Bailey Zappi because they oh, would probably yeah, be yeah. favored in this game. You're, you're right. You're probably right yeah. on that. I don't. I don't probably hate that one though. That's that's an interesting one. That's actually one that I did look at. Um, 
but I ultimately went with a different game. But yep. it's not a bad one. Wait, bad one. I don't. I haven't done the upset picks yet, so I haven't looked at your email. Who was your upset you pick? I have Texas Tech over NC State. Okay, that was going to be another one I was going to ask you about. Mm-hmm. That's a very mm-hmm. interesting one. Yep. I am very curious to see Georgia Tech is an interesting team. So they they beat Western Carolina last week. They are a seventeen mm-hmm. point dog at home to Ole Miss. Uh, they didn't look great beating Western Carolina. They actually played Clemson really tough. Now, I know the score was mm-hmm. 41-10, but that game was a lot more competitive than that. There yeah. was a chance in the third quarter where Georgia Tech had a chance to tie the game. They just missed a bunch of opportunities. And, and Ole Miss has been good so far, but they haven't mm-hmm. exactly, like to me, lit the world on fire in their first two games against Central Arkansas. They did not look good against Troy in the opener. Yeah. It's like 28 Troy, to 10, right? Or yes, 28-10. Yeah. And Troy now Troy did score last, but I thought Troy moved the ball relatively well on them in the in the throwing game. Uh and Jackson Dart's been good, but they've been a little bit uh conservative with him so mm-hmm. far. They've run the ball well uh so far this year with Zach Evans and Quinshawn Junkins, who you guys remember I graded him as a four-star recruit. He's he's done looked good in his first two games, has almost 200 yards rushing in two games. Yeah. Uh good back. That's one I looked at as a possibility, Ryan. Uh, here's a couple more that I th- found very interesting in my opinion. How bad is Colorado right now? Is, that's Awful, just kind man. of side note. They're so bad. They just got smoked by TCU, and TCU oh is not gosh. very good either. They're not good. Uh, they're a 27 and a half point underdog at Minnesota, and I would not take. I would not put put money on Colorado. They are no. bad. Just the cover, like oh. yeah. <laughs> Here's a really interesting one that I that I've been leaning to towards all week. Kansas at Houston. Houston is an eight and a half point favorite. I have not been super impressed with Houston so far. I thought their win over UTSA was really good. I'll talk Mm -hmm. about them there in a second. Uh, Losing at Texas Tech, their defense was kind of turning the corner a little bit last year. Mm -hmm. They've not looked good the first two games this year with Doug Belk. And that is one that I'm like, you know, you look at Kansas, Ryan, and this is going to sound crazy, but Lance Leopold is a good football coach. He is. And they have looked – they're beating West Virginia on the road in overtime last week showed me some grit from Kansas that they haven't shown in a long time. Mm-hmm. And a buddy was like, man, they beat West Virginia by thir- or you know by 13. And I'm like, well, kind of. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it was an overtime game, and mm-hmm. they ran a pick six back, right? So you won by 13. But still, going on the road, beating West Virginia, first of all, Neil Brown, in trouble. Done. Right in He's trouble, done. yeah. Uh, but Lance Leopold, man, like you're gonna start in, in Nebraska fans. If you're smart, this is a guy you're gonna start paying attention to the rest of this year because this guy can flat out coach. Houston's talented but undisciplined. I'm not sleeping on the Jayhawks this week as an eight and a half point underdog. Ryan, what say you? That- that that quarterback's having a pretty good start to yeah. the year too. Jalen Daniels. Yeah. Yeah. The run through. Yeah. He's a run throw guy. They have a decent running back named Devin Neal as well. Things are starting to look up a little bit with Kansas. You know, I'm not here to say that they're the, you know, going to take a huge step, but they're more competitive so far already than I, than they certainly were last year. So shout out to Lance Leopold in, in that regard. And, I mean, to your point, Brian, like it's 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 not like insurmountable, right? Yeah. Like it's it's possible. It's it's Kansas an two, for, through two games. Kansas has yeah. been a more impressive team than mm-hmm. Houston. They 100%. just they just yeah. have. And uh, Houston's offensive line is pretty bad, man. Like their quarterback's yes. not bad. The Clayton Toon kid's a decent player. They have a couple of receivers, Nathaniel Dell, but like 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, the offensive line's not he's too really good. good. Defense hasn't taken Dell's a, step. a really good football player. Yeah, man, he's, he's small, really but he's he's lightning in a yeah. bottle, man. He's lightning yeah. in a bottle. Yep. And Kansas has five sacks so far in two games. So they have, have um, a little bit. Lonnie Phelps, who's a transfer yeah. from Miami, Ohio, had three yeah. sacks, I think, in the first or second yeah, game. He looks pretty good. Yeah. Yep. yep. So so that's one. And so my two that I'm deciding between are that one. And then mm-hmm. here's the next one. Okay. It's going to surprise you because you know what I think about this football team. My last potential upset pick that I'm I'm debating, and I haven't necessarily picked, picked mine yet, Texas San Antonio, 12.5-point dog at Texas. Oh, no, man. No, oh. Quinn, no Quinn Ewers. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, not a big fan of Hudson Card. And then the emotional letdown of losing to Bama, much like we saw from Notre Dame. And with all due respect, UTSA is a better football team than Marshall, in my opinion. That's fair. So uh, that is the Kansas game and the UTS game are the two that I'm – I got my eye on because they looked really good and beating Army, and I thought they should have beat Houston. If they lost uh, late in the game, 37-35, that's a game I thought they should have won. Uh, their quarterback's putting up some numbers this year for UTSA. Frank, Frank Harris. Harris is putting up yeah. some numbers. Sure now, is. they're not running the ball real well, and that's what makes me nervous. Mm-hmm. That's that's the hesitation I have because they're not running the ball real effectively. And I don't know if you can beat Texas with just throwing the football. But it's more about the emotional letdown aspect of it than anything is just is texas going to be mentally ready after preparing all offseason for let's be honest can we all be honest texas was not spending fall camp preparing for who they played in the opener can can Mm -hmm. we all be honest about that Mm -hmm. can we be real about that they did not give two rips about louisiana monroe they preparing for bama just like notre dame spent the whole offseason preparing for ohio state and we saw the emotional letdown notre dame had can sark get his team more mentally ready than marcus freeman got his team ready for the next week We'll find out, especially without Hewers playing, because he's out at least what three, four weeks is what I think I read. Um, four to six, it could be wrong. Four to six, yeah. yeah uh, so that um, that those are the two that I'm leaning towards of all the the options I've looked at. There's some potential upset picks this weekend. There are there some is. potential upsets this weekend. UTSA is a sneaky team, man. You imagine how good they w- would be if um, you know that running back they had last year, Sincere McCormick. Mm-hmm. He left. He left early for for the NFL after three years, and he didn't get drafted. I'm just like, imagine if he, if he was on that team. Made dumb decisions like yeah, that, too. man. Ah, UTSA would be a really good football team if they had a yeah. running game with, along with what Harris is doing at quarterback because they have a pretty decent defense too. They got some yeah. guys on defense that aren't bad. So yeah, yeah. Beat Illinois last year at Illinois. Beat beat Memphis last year at Memphis. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the Jeff Trailer's doing a nice job there, man. And that win at Army last week. That was a good win at Army. Did you see that Army threw for over three hundred yards that game? No. You know, it's yeah. the weirdest. The weirdest shock of as far as like a schematic change. Have you seen that? You know, Georgia Southern was like a triple option team for a little bit. Yeah. Do, do you know that they now have Kyle Van Treese at quarterback, the Buffalo transfer, and they're throwing for like 400 that. yards? He threw for 400 yards that. last week. That's a Georgia not... Southern quarterback threw for over 400 yards. Yeah. It's insane. It was wild. Army's quarterback, uh, I think uh, he wasn't the only one that threw a pass in that game, but Cade Ballard, Ballard uh, mm-hmm. went 11 of 15 for 221 yards and a touchdown in that game. And then one of their other quarterbacks, I think it's a quarterback, one of their other quarterbacks, uh, came in um, Tyler uh, Tyhear Tyler and mm. and went um, uh, one of two for 77 yards in a touchdown <laughs> and as a team they threw for they went 13 of 18 for 302 yards against UTSA decent yards option. per attempt it's yeah. decent it's yeah. not bad 
<laughs> yeah, that's, that's not bad. It's not bad at all. So those are the two I'm leaning towards, Ryan. I, I got to pick one because we're going to put our upset picks out here in a little bit. But those are the two that I'm leaning towards uh, for now. Some good so, ones. Yeah, some good yeah. ones. It's going to be a good weekend of college football. No, not a lot of sexy games, but just a lot of hmm. We're going to learn something about that team this weekend. Type yep. of games. Agreed. Um, uh, David Flores says, "Do you like Florida State over Louisville today?" Yes, I do. Louisville, yes. um, UCF. I felt kind of choked that game away a little bit last week if we're being honest mm-hmm. i'm just gonna say it and there were some questionable officiating calls in that game as well but uh yeah i i like i liked the scott satterfield hire at first but i'm not as small anymore on that no. one yeah no well i mean and it's hard to to build at a place when you've kind of let it be known you want to leave which yes. he pretty much started doing in like year two mm-hmm. you know it's like mm-hmm. he's not he hasn't helped himself Irish Shytown, town Brian and Ryan, who are the top three coaches in college football? I mean, I think for me, it's kind of easy right now. It's it's Nick Saban, it's Dabo Sweeney, and it's Kirby Smart. I mean, I, look, Kirby's not a great game day coach, but what he's done to build that team is really impressive. Mm-hmm. It really is. I mean. I, I, I can't have much pushback on that right now. No. Like, that's just. I mean, Ryan Day still got who would, a lot Who would be fourth? Things. I mean, you could I say, know. you know, Ryan Day's taking the team to a couple playoff bursts and all that. You know, they they beat Clemson a couple years ago. Sure. Um, you know, he's in the – he's got he's still got to win a couple more big games for me, you know, to be honest with you. Uh, Kyle Whittingham? Yeah, no, not for me. Uh, no, I mean, he's a good man. coach, but, like, to put him in the top five. And I'm and I'm okay. I don't think it's all about record. I mean, if if your program is, is built to be a five and seven team and you're constantly winning eight, nine games, you're a great football coach. Air Parsegian, Luce Emoji loved to talk about this. Air Parsegian went 500 at Northwestern, and that got him the Notre Dame job because the perception was going 500 at Northwestern was a phenomenal coaching job, right? And I think he was like 4-0 against Notre Dame or something insane like that. Uh, so, uh, you know, I'm okay putting a guy like that on there. I mean, I used to advocate for Gary Patterson and David Shaw and guys like that when they were really rolling, and they never won championships and things like that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Ryan Day still has to prove a little something to me Lincoln Riley has a lot to prove to me before I can consider him in that conversation. I mean, it's not just about championships, but it's also a level of consistency. Even Georgia's down, they've been 11 and two, you know, and, and he was recruiting well, they play hard. Um, you know, I mean, dude won a championship with Stetson Bennett, you know, I mean, that's impressive to me. Hey man, that's a NFL draft riser. Stetson Bennett to you. All right. All right. Tom Frowley. Thank you, Tom. Brian, does it benefit pine to run tempo with three step drops to throw slants and seam routes? Not slants. I'm not, I do not want drew pine throwing a bunch of slants. I'm that's that route scares the heck out of me with the way he, the way he reads defenses, seams, slides, quick outs, you know, corner routes, stuff like that. Absolutely. Um, no, no question. No, I'd throw one way you can attack the middle of the field is with crossers and angle routes and stuff like that from your backs. Those are definitely a way that I would go, but you got to attack vertically with your, your other stuff to clear that out for the backs and the crosser to get there. Those things I'm doing tempo. Yeah. I, I do want to see them push the tempo a little bit this week. Is it all you do? No, but should you do it somewhat consistently? Yeah. I will, especially early. I think that's something you can do to get him into a good rhythm, getting him comfortable and into a rhythm and the offense comfortable in the rhythm is priority. Number one, mm, three for Tommy Reese party. Number one, make Chris Tyree, the focal point of the offense Priority Number two, get flipping Tobias Merriweather on the field. And number three, <laughs> get the offense comfortable and rolling. No question. Last one we're going to have here is from Owen Mullen. He asks if they're going to be a tailgate this weekend. Not really, no. I was not able to get my hands on a parking pass this week in an area where we could do it. So 
I'm going to be doing a TV spot around 1045, I think. So I'll be at the stadium pretty early. If you all are doing get-togethers, if there's like a IB meetup somewhere that's like kind of on campus, not one of the lots outside because I really can't get to those, um, I would love to come and meet y'all. And, and uh, you know, if you guys want to set up something like that, but I just wasn't able to get a pass to, to get everything rocking and rolling this week. So I do apologize, but I'll be around. I'd love to meet all the people that are coming to this game. Absolutely. So, Ryan, that is going to do it for today's show. Uh, mailbag was really long today. We had a lot of great That's questions, <laughs> a lot of excellent stuff there today. Enjoy the predictions. Going to be a fun weekend of college football. Hopefully, Notre Dame gets a W this weekend. Uh, we will be back tomorrow. Vince and Sean at 10 a.m. tomorrow is starting IB countdown to kickoff. They'll preview the game. Give the latest news and analysis. Pre- take a look at some of this weekend's games. They're going to give their slant on the games. Then, of course, post-game show. We will have our post-game show. It'll be me, Ryan. I believe Sean Davis and Vince will also both be part of our, our post-game show. We should have the whole crew back together this week uh, since Ryan is not traveling. Sunday, 7 p.m. on Sunday, we will have our upon further review. And then next week, we'll be right back on track. So make sure that you hit that like button, hit that subscribe button, hit the notification bell, share this podcast if you're listening via a, a, a podcast platform, give us a five-star review, sign up for the message boards at irishbreakdown.com, buy the IB gear, buy Built Bars. Those are great. We haven't talked about those in a while. Still love Built Bars. Uh, all that great stuff. And to Irish One, uh, who uh, just said, thanks for the prayers, IB family. You are definitely in our thoughts and prayers. And if anybody else uh, is feeling that way, you have a community and a group of people here that genuinely do care about each other. And so it's okay to uh, to talk to people. You know, if and if, if you don't want to talk to us here, if you're struggling with something, there's always groups out there that can help. Don't be afraid to reach out to help. That's one of the biggest things that people that are dealing with struggles or feeling alone or depression or whatever the case may be. There are people out there that want to help you. They just need to know that you need it. So don't be afraid to reach out. OK, we all we all need somebody else to lift us up sometimes. Obviously, for me, prayer is a big part of that. But I think God also put us on this planet to interact with each other and to support each other and build each other up. And that is also part what I believe is part of his calling. So we will do our best to do that. If you don't feel comfortable with that, reach out to other people in your community that that are built for that. There are people that are there to help you to get through tough times. And whatever your time may be, somebody's been through it and they're going to be able to help speak truth and love and compassion into your life. So definitely, definitely, definitely reach out for those people. So For Ryan, I'm Brian. Have a great rest of your day, and we will talk to you again very soon on the Irish Breakdown Podcast.
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.